as a young person, usually this would happen at school during exercise hour. You'd go out on the playground and they say, okay, we're going to play, we're going to play dodgeball. And Jeff, he's going to be the captain of one team and Darcy, she's going to be the captain of the other team. All right. Jeff, pick your first person. And of course, Jeff would pick the most athletic, handsome, fastest runner. <laughs> Darcy, you're next. Darcy would pick, generally speaking, who was next. Next most handsome. Next most available uh, or uh, quickest speediest, whatever. And boy, girl, boy, girl, sure. And it always got down to Mikey. <laughs> Nobody wanted Mikey because Mikey wasn't handsome and Mikey wasn't fast and Mikey wasn't, couldn't put two sentences together very well. Somebody said that kind of sounds like you during your messages, Jeff. <laughs> no. How'd that make you feel when that happened? Yeah. Did you ever walk out of your bedroom or come up from the basement and dad had gotten home and your brother or your sister were munching on something delightful? and they were almost at the end of it and you were late and you didn't get any or worse yet Papa didn't get you anything he didn't know you were home in fact he thought maybe you were over at your friend's house and you didn't get the special treat that only your brother or sister got how'd that make you feel? people really believe that God is making that kind of decision about you. You haven't gone to church enough. You haven't lived righteous enough, holy enough. You didn't pray the prayer the right way. I want to talk about who's in and who's out. Who's in and who's out because we've all been there and experienced that. But boy, if we're talking about Eternity and living with God, being in His presence, who's in, who's out? Really? I've subtitled it Beyond Conditional Belief. It's the final message in our series. Who's in, who's out? Is there a boundary marker for salvation? Is it personal belief? Is it believing the right thing? What if sin is more about lost identity than breaking laws? Okay, let's start with the foundation. John 3.16. Help me. John 3.16. For God so loved, help me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. 
This universal offer of salvation is traditionally interpreted within conservative religion and American evangelicalism as conditional based on individual belief. Look at it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Thank you, God. So that everyone who believes in him may not perish. Well, we need to unpack this a little bit and not just take it verbatim and certainly not take it based on what we have heard people say it means. The word believe, for instance, it's the Greek word for persuasion, to be persuaded. It's not something I sweat to do. It's something that I'm overwhelmed through love to accept. You know what? It's not your faith in the first place. It's his. It's Jesus' faith. For instance, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, so that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by doing the works of the law. Galatians 2.20, the life I now live, I, by the, I live by the faith of the Son of God. In fact, whenever you see faith in Christ, and especially in the Pauline epistles, there are many references to us having, quote, faith in Christ. That is a mistranslation. It's always in the Greek, the faith of Christ. Not once is it having faith in Christ. The word perish, we just assume that that means that if you get to the end of life, you haven't believed right, you haven't been holy enough, you didn't say the prayer, you didn't whatever, all right, it's conditional, that you are going to go to a place we commonly call hell, but to give it a little bit more description, eternal conscious torment. You don't get chosen. You're out. You missed the ball. This word perish in the verse that whosoever believes in him will not perish the same word is translated in the King James translation. This word perish is translated in Luke chapter 15 to be lost. In three parables that Jesus gives us. And in each one Jesus flips the evangelical narrative of saved, lost, in, out. Conditional belief versus inerrant union in the use of all three of these parables. He flips that. He says, it's not about saved or lost, in or out. What I'm going to do, I'm going to do for all mankind, all of humanity, universally. He gives us three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Now, here's how Jesus begins sharing the parables, okay? I want, you, I want you to watch this. 
Here's Luke chapter 15. We're going to turn there real quick. I want to read you verses 1, 2, and 3 because that'll put the rest of the chapter, which we're not going to read all three parables word for word, but there are three, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. All three of them use this word used by Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 16, perish, but it doesn't mean perish like destroyed or put in hell it means lost the lost sheep the lost coin the lost son but get the context of how he shares these parables into who watch verse one now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen and the pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, and he goes into the lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. So he tells them. In other words, because of their attitude, because of their judgmental, evangelical, legalistic view of humanity he's welcoming the sinners he's eating with them and all the religious people are doing what what's it say they're doing all the religious people all the church people what are they doing they're grumbling they're accusing him they're complaining they're 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 accusing him of eating with sinners compromising your faith compromising the holiness of God and he says oh man you guys are so far off I'll tell you what I'm going to tell you three parables here that's what he does and he gives him the three parables in every parable he repeats the word lost apolomai as to lose to emphasize the fact that these things, the sheep, the coin, the sun, have all been lost, not destroyed, not perished, but lost. Now, you know, you can't lose something unless it first belonged to you first. Have you ever lost anything and looked around for 20 minutes to find it? And then you found it, and oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> We've done that with a couple of things in the last couple of weeks. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, huh, I so didn't want to lose that. But it belonged to you in the first place. It wasn't somebody else's. It hadn't perished and gone to hell. It was just lost. See, there's a great deal of difference. So when we read... In the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not be lost. We already belong to him, but boy, are we messed up sometimes. We live in lostness. We live in uselessness. Now, even the word gave... God so loved the world that he gave. When you unpack that, you look at that in the original language. It's didomai. And it means giving to someone what already belongs to them, to return it. 
What's my objective today? To move beyond this idea of conditional belief to the realization of one's inerrant, inherent union with God. Even Jesus' own stated, stated purpose for coming calls into doubt the widely accepted interpretation of parish. Jill, you brought this out several weeks ago in question and answer time. You said, well, let's look at verse 17. All right, Jeff. Here's verse 17. At right following John 3.16, shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Verse 17. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Well, then, how does he say in verse 16, if you don't believe right, you're going to perish, but in verse 17 he says, I didn't come that you would perish. I didn't come to condemn you. For whatever you're doing, whatever way you're living, you're very lost, you're messed up, you're separated from me only in your mind, and I want to redeem that. Dear ones, getting in is not contingent on individual belief, but on what Christ did in his redemptive work. Both John 3 and the Pauline Gospel draw a clear distinction between inerrant sonship and transactional performance. That's what I object to the most. And I, and I know that sometimes I'm very repetitive of a preacher. That's why it was so great to have Jill up here. She brought a message. I've never heard so many comments. We got so many watches on the YouTube video. It was like, oh, maybe Jill could preach now. You know, Jill, Jill's it, Jill. Oh, man, that was the best message, best message I've ever heard. And I've said those things lots of times in different ways. My brother doesn't like me today because he's going for the 49ers. Now, I, I, I made him a deal last week. He, 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 he said, if you're for the Chiefs, I'm not coming. But I made him a deal. I said, if, if the 49ers win, I will buy you dinner. Place of your choice. I'll pay. Place of your choice. <laughs> And, but if the Chiefs, if the Chiefs win, you're going to buy me dinner at the place of my choice. <laughs> oh, get ready, man! That's going to be expensive. <laughs> yeah, I love Taco Bell. Faith is more about awakening to an already existing reality of one's inclusion in God's love rather than a condition for inclusion. Then we jump over into the Pauline Gospel in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 describes how sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And in verse 12, it says that this affected all of humanity. The language is always very clear. What happened through Adam affected all of humanity. There's never a scripture referring to this that happened to Adam where it doesn't say that the effect of that 
came upon all of humanity. And then Paul argues. The very reverse of that, though, is that what Jesus did is for all humanity. He reverses what came through Adam. Not for some, not for those who believe it correctly, not for those who go to church, for all humanity in the same way that what happened through Adam happened to all humanity. The equation is this. What Jesus did happened for all of humanity. And that passage serves as a basis for the belief, not in original sin, but original salvation. It's not the belief of original sin, but original goodness. We were created in his image. What happened to Adam affected the whole earth, but that didn't mean God left. When we look more carefully at the language of Paul, what he uses, and we consider the narrative of the Gospels and the whole Bible, really, we don't see original sin. We see original goodness. So this disorientation of identity rather than the legalistic view of, uh, of transgression is so important to going through repentance. Now what do I mean repentance? I do not mean coming to the front of the church, shame and guilt, crying, falling at the altar, sorry for your sins, promising God you'll never do it again. That's what I grew up with. That's what I preached for decades until I discovered the meaning of repentance. The Greek word metaneo. It means none of what we used to practice. It means, number one, to change your thoughts. Number two, to put God at the center of the way you think. Quite literally, that's the Greek definition. So rather than having an identity of separation and fallenness, God invites us through Christ to change our identity and think differently. And he uses three parables. He doesn't say you're going to perish. He starts teaching the religious leaders there was a lost sheep, lost coin, and a lost son. What do we call that parable, that specific one? What do we know the lost son parable as? The prodigal son. Sin is more about lost identity than breaking divine laws. It's a disease that needs hospitalization, not eternal conscious torment. All right, let's turn. Romans chapter 5. This is going to be a little lengthy because I'm going to read verses 12 through 16 and verse 18. One person opened the door to sin. Sin introduced spiritual death. But sin and death had a global impact. No one escaped its tyranny. The law did not introduce sin. It was just not pointed out yet. In the meantime, death dominated everyone's lifestyle from Adam till Moses, 25 years before the law was given. No one was excluded. Even those whose sins were different from Adam's. The fact is that Adam's deviation set sin in motion. What happened to mankind because of one man, Adam, 
is in principle typical of what was about to happen in the same mankind because of the one man, Jesus. Verse 15. The only similarity in the comparison between the crash landing and the gift is that both Adam and Christ represent the masses. However, the graced gift lavished upon mankind in the one man, Jesus Christ, supersedes the effect of Adam's failure by far and is beyond comparison and significance to the idea of death and separation. The principle of the gift speaks a different language and brings a radically different equation to the table. Whereas a single sin resulted in judgment that concluded in condemnation, grace translates countless deviations into acquittal and innocence. Grace translates countless deviations and problems, brokenness, sin, whatever is in our life, and it changes it into innocence. You are innocent before God. There is no more shame. There is no more guilt. There is no more fear. You are free. Now. Not in the future. Not through transactional believing things correctly. This is something God did for all humanity without our opinion or input. The conclusion is clear, verse 18. If one offense condemns the entire human race, then in principle, the righteousness of one vindicates the entire human race. Isn't that great? Here's Philip's translation of this. I love this so much. Verse 18. We see then that as one act of sin exposed the whole race of humanity to condemnation, so in one act of perfect righteousness presents all humanity freely acquitted in the sight of God. I was sharing this recently with somebody and they said, well, if this is true, what about all of those people who don't confess Christ as Lord? What about them? I said, well, does all mean all? Yes. Did what Adam do come upon all? Yes. Well, did what Jesus do or did come to all? Yes. So how you live here doesn't affect eternity, but how you live here will sure affect your life here. And that's the hell. That's the hell that Jesus talked about. Now, this is not a series on that subject. I've done an entire series on the subject of eternal conscious torment. But I'm here to tell you that the gift of righteousness is already bestowed upon all humanity. There is no who's in, who's out. Say it. Who's in, who's out. Now look at somebody and tell them you're in.
grace is not something to be earned. It's already given. If there's one thing I have to do to deserve it, then it's no longer grace. It changes it. If there's a prayer I have to pray, if there's something I have to do in church by repenting, anything like that, then it's no longer a gift of grace. John Crowder, one of my favorite voices, just not singer, prophet, mystic, author, he's pastored. I get his weekly blasts and texts. Quote, February 7th, quote, The point of the cross was not the law, but love. Faith is not a contract. It is about vibrant participation in the life of the Trinity, something law was never intended or capable of providing. Paul does not affirm, but radically subverts these prevalent legal notions in his day. Though modern Protestantism reverts back to a judicial view of transactional salvation. Why do you call it the gathering, Jeff? I've heard you've deconstructed. I'm told you you teach things now that, boy, have people talk about them being heretical. Well, I actually find them more of the Pauline gospel. The good news that Paul preached. So what is the role of faith? God so loved the world that he gave. He gave us something that already belonged to us. He was returning our identity to us. (laughs) That whosoever believes is persuaded won't perish you're not going to die in hell he says you're not going to live like the prodigal you can come home you can come home you can come home to what God has designed for you to be and the way he's designed for you to live and I'm not talking about heaven I'm talking about heaven on earth Since the gift of righteousness is already bestowed upon all humanity, faith then is understood as an awakening or realization of this truth rather than a prerequisite for receiving this grace. Inherent sonship exists regardless of my personal belief, challenging the conventional boundaries of the in and the out. The evangelical perspective emphasizes a transformational a transformation of identity upon belief in Christ from sinner to saved. In other words, it's transactional. But in Paul's writings, that's not true. It's not transactional. In his writings, he portrays a salvation that is a awakening to an existing reality. I'll give you a taste. First Corinthians chapter one, verse thirty. It is of God's doing that we are in Christ. That's why I believe differently. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He associated us in Christ before the fall of the world. That's why I teach differently. 
I'm tired of the standard evangelical line that tells me some are in and some are out. There's another gentleman that I follow sends out tweets and emails. His name is Radin. Radin Williams. And he just happened to send one out recently regarding the prodigal. Look at this. The prodigal stayed away from his father's house and endured pig pen poverty because he feared his actions had changed his identity from son to slave only to return and find his fears had no basis in reality. Fear keeps us in a slave mentality and robs us of our very selves enjoying the Father's house. The prodigal was always a son. You are always a son or daughter of God. Enjoy his house. Believe. What about repentance? Only love that cannot be changed by our behavior has the power to change our behavior. Agreeing with God's unchangeable love for you is the most powerful form of repentance, metanoia, renewing of the mind. And it empowers us to live free of all of our pig pens as sons and daughters. The sons and daughters we always were. I don't know about you, but this is good news. <laughs> this is why I'm different. 